Good morning, Hope Vale. Will you please stand to your feet? We're going to lift our voices and worship the Lord this morning. Come on, put your hands together.
Your praise will 
God, we thank you for your presence in this place today. All-consuming fire, would you fall? Would you fall and burn away every sin that hinders us? Would you fall and fill us with faith, God? Fill us with the faith that we need to believe that you are who you say you are. That our salvation is secure in you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for every sacrifice. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We're glad that you are here. Welcome to Hopevale. I'm Carrie Gordon. I'm one of the worship leaders here. If you would, please take a minute, high-five someone, shake someone's hand before you're seated today. Good morning again, Hopevale. Hey, before you get fully settled, we have a full house this morning. If you could just take a minute, and if you have a, an empty seat in your row, just scoot in a little bit. Let's help create a little bit more room for people who are still entering in this morning. Well, hey, uh, my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale, and we are, we're excited. You know, it might be almost halfway through January, but in some ways, we're just getting into the new year, getting our feet under us uh, with a brand new series starting this morning. So we're really excited around here at Hopevale, and there's a couple things that I want to make you aware of. So first of all, uh, if, you're, if you're relatively new with us, hopefully as you came into the auditorium this morning, you were handed a bulletin, and at the bottom of that bulletin is a tear-off, and if you'd be willing to just uh, put your name and information on that and either drop it in the offering or stop at the Welcome Center in the middle of the lobby this morning, we'd just love to know that you are here, uh, give you a, uh, send you a letter this week just thanking you for being here, and if you do stop by the Welcome Center, they have a special gift for you as well. Uh, also, if you're relatively new and you just want to learn a little bit more about Hopevale, who we are, what we believe, and how you can just fit into uh, life and ministry that's taking place here at Hopevale, we have a special class that's actually this morning at 1230 in our venue called Get to Know Hopevale. And so if that sounds like it'd be something that's interest to, uh, of interest to you, uh, stop by the Welcome Center. You can sign up for that. And free lunch is included. You know, not that that would be the reason that you go, but maybe that's a little bit of a tipping point. And so we would just encourage you to, to check that out. Tonight, uh, our growth classes start. And so if you're thinking... Uh, of joining a class here at Hopevale, you can go to our website and look at all of the different offerings there or stop at our info desk this morning. And we've got people there who would love to help walk you through what's available and get you signed up for those as well. I do have to make one quick look back, okay? So I just said we're in January, but I wanted to just look back uh, to December and our Christmas services. And as many of you know, if you were here, we do a special offering during our Christmas services called the Christmas Outreach Offering. And, and the purpose, the heart behind that offering is that we give over and above our regular giving so that those dollars are available to bless people outside the walls of the church. It's all for others to impact them in the name of Christ. And so I just wanted to share with you guys that as a church, both in Saginaw and Bay City, we gave a little over $157,000. So thank you guys so much for just being such a generous church to fund uh, something like that that's gonna just do incredible things here in the coming year to bless others in the name of Jesus. So we're excited for just the stories that God is gonna write through that and how he's gonna use people and groups of people at Hopevale in this congregation uh, for ministry in his name. 
Well, as I invite the ushers to come forward, um, just want to go to the Lord in prayer and just, man, with such thankful hearts for all that, that God has done for us, all that he is going to be doing in the future. And so, man, we just want to look to him and just continue to give expectantly for how God is going to continue to work, uh, not only in our own lives and in this body, but in our community as well. And that's the heart that we have, and that's the heart that we give towards that God uh, would just make his name great amongst us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and just we are extremely grateful for who you are and how you are at work in so many ways, ways that we can see and so many more ways that we can't even see. And God, we just bring that expectant heart this morning for what you're going to continue to do, for how you are going to continue to be faithful to uh, who you are and just the, the goodness that comes out of that for us in our own lives. So God, as we uh, give of our tithes and offerings this morning, uh, we do that joyfully just out of uh, hearts of abundance, knowing what you've done for us. And so God, we just want to give back to you so that you can take uh, our resources as limited people and, and just grow that exponentially in ways that we can't even imagine. So God, would you just take the gifts that we're giving this morning and use them for your glory in incredible ways. And thanks for just the small little opportunities that you give us to be a part of how you're at work all around us. So God, we just, uh, we give the rest of this service to you, Lord. We, we come before your word uh, with expectancy for how you're gonna teach us and grow us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me as we read Psalm 145 together, just verses one through three. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Love, you bring love. 
presence in this place. We do pour out our praise to you. May it be a sweet, sweet offering to you today. We ask this in all your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year as well. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor here at Hopel. It's a joy to share this morning of worship with you. Also, want to welcome those of you joining us in Bay City as well today. Great to have you on board and hope your New Year is getting off to a great start as well. Uh, my uh, New Year, I was rewarded with catching some kind of head and chest cold thing, so may need to stop for a drink of water um, along the way, so just bear with me. Hey, this morning we are beginning a new message series in the New Testament book of 1 John entitled Confidence in the Chaos. Confidence in the Chaos. And as you heard from Pastor Ken last week in Saginaw and Pastor Steve in Bay City, this is an all-in, all-church shared experience for our entire church family, including you, whether you've been with us for many years or whether this is your first Sunday with us, we want you on board. We want God to speak to our hearts through his word to change us for the better from the inside out, and we believe he can do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's our goal collectively, and then individually, we just want everyone here to get into the Bible for themselves, to get into the Bible for themselves, and to help us do that together, we have created this First John journal that we handed out last week. Now, there was such a big demand for these journals that we ran out last week, 1,500 journals in all at both campuses. So unfortunately, some of you didn't get a chance to pick one up, but the good news is that Pastor Ken and his team worked really hard this past week with our printing company, and we were able to uh, get another 1,000 journals. So hopefully you got one on the way in, and if not, Take one on the way back, okay? And you'll be able to use that all throughout the 13 weeks of this series. Now, the reason we have made such a big investment to want to get a journal into everyone's hands for free is they want, we want all of you to have a firsthand personal encounter with the living God through his word. Firsthand personal encounter with the living God through his word the Bible. And so whether you know a lot about the Bible, a little about the Bible, or nothing at all about the Bible, this journal is going to work for everyone. It really is. Because we realize, you know, that the mere thought of trying to read through and understand the Bible on our own can be really intimidating. And so we've designed this journal to break down those barriers, to make the Bible more personal, more relevant and more approachable. So we want you to come along and join us on this journey that you don't need to be afraid. 
More specifically then, we have designed the journal in such a way to walk you through an experience that as you can see here, there's a page on the left that's called listen, and it's simply for taking notes during the message, right? And what God is just speaking to you. And then on the other side, on the right, there's a read page, and every week there's going to be a read page that has the passage for the week that you can follow along, not only during the message, but read on your own during the week. And then when you turn the page, after that, again on the left, there is a reflect and respond page that takes what God is speaking to you and makes it personal, including a very heartfelt prayer at the end. And then on the other side, there is a discuss page that you can use to talk with others during the week in your community groups, in your first John discussion groups, with family, with friends, whomever. And let me just say this about our first John discussion groups, or D groups that we're calling them. These discussion groups are small groups of people, anywhere from 8 to 14, something like that, that are going to meet during the week over the next six weeks. They'll be led by a facilitator, and specifically, just so we can talk about our own experience with the message, with the journal, and with the passage in 1 John. Now, these D groups are in addition to our existing community groups who are also going to be going through the journal. And so if you're not part of a community group, boy, we would encourage you, nudge you, um, invite you to be a part of one of these discussion groups or D groups. And to find out more, we've got people out in the lobby after the service, both campuses, right, who can answer your questions and point you in the right direction for a discussion group that works for you geographically and time of the week. You can also go to our website because we've got more information there as well. So between these Sunday messages between our own personal interaction with the journal and reading through 1 John and these 1 John D groups and community groups meeting during the week, we are praying that this will truly be a life-changing experience for everyone involved, right? Everyone involved, including you. That's what we're praying for and that's what we're believing God for. And so that's where we're gonna go over these next several weeks. But to kick things off in 1 John today, I'm going to start in an unusual and unlikely place, okay? Normally, we would just begin right at the start of the book, right? But instead, I first want us to look toward the end. It's a passage in the fifth and final chapter of 1 John, where John, the author, gives us his punchline. He gives us his purpose. He gives us the reason why. He lays it out right in plain sight of why he wrote 1 John to speak to Christians throughout the ages, both then and now. And that purpose statement is found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This is what John says. He says, I write these things to you. These things are the first four and a half chapters, right? Who believe in the name of the Son of God, speaking of Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you, you plural, you all, who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus, in order so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John writes this extensive letter to Christians then and now in four and a half chapters, doctrinal teaching, ethical instruction, practical advice to Christian believers, by the way, across a wide-ranging spectrum of spiritual maturity, and John is essentially saying, the reason I'm doing all this is because I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt 
that you know, not just up here in your head, but also in here in your heart, that you possess the greatest God-given gift anyone could ever have. And that is the gift of eternal life. Eternal life, this unique and incomparable human experience with our God that doesn't just speak to the extent of our days, but also to the enjoyment of our days, both in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. And so in this passage, and John gets to the end of the book, he's saying, you know this eternal life I've been telling you about? This thing that as you come to understand it, it sounds too good to be true, guess what? It actually is true. And it really is yours. It's yours both right now and forever. This is for everyone who truly believes in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as their Savior and their Lord. It is yours. See, more than anything else, John wants us to be absolutely confident about this wonderful gift of eternal life that we possess in Jesus Christ. Absolutely confident, regardless of what chaos might be swirling around us or within us. See, chaos comes in all kinds of forms. It comes in the forms of outer challenges. It comes in the forms of inner doubts. And as we go through that chaos, John wants us to be anchored in the unchanging and overcoming reality of eternal life that is ours by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the punchline. That's the purpose. 1 John 5, verse 13. I want you to say this with me. Let's read this together. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the Apostle John's stated goal in writing 1 John some 20 centuries ago. And so week by week, as we go through this book, all the passages that we're going to look at are going to somehow tie back to this anchor purpose of confidence. Confidence. Now, personally, I love this idea of a confident faith. I really do, because let's face it, who couldn't use a little more confidence in life, right? Now, when I say confidence, I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about cockiness. But I'm talking about a deeply rooted confidence that can stand strong in the chaos of life. And yet, even as I say that out loud, there's still that little part of me that wonders inside, well, can we really be so certain? Can we really be so certain about something that is so spiritual and so mysterious, like this idea of eternal life? Eternal life, it's something you can't see or touch or hold in your hands. You can't put it in your pocket. You can't deposit it in the bank. You can't bury it in your backyard, can you? And so, yes, it would be great. We could be so something, confident, so confident about something so significant like eternal life, but is it really possible? Or is it just a pipe dream? I mean, think about this whole idea of confidence and certainty. I mean, have you ever been so sure about anything like that before? Because on the one hand, we really do. We really do want to believe. We really do want to be confident about things that matter to us. 
And yet, on the other hand, life can make us skeptical, cynical, disillusioned, guarded. Why? Because we've been burned. We've been let down so many times before because we trust people. People who make alluring claims about things like gaining wealth, losing weight, finding romance. We live in an age where numerous scandals make it hard to trust the big promises of our institutions and leaders, whether it's educational, financial, religious, political, right? We're guarded. And then we're skeptical in this era of fake news, of catfishing, of telemarketing to believe anything so that even if we do see proof of something in video or social media, we're probably thinking it's been doctored or altered in some way. We're conditioned in this rough and tumble world of ours to not be so confident about anything. And I wonder if we've even lost the ability to have confidence. And so here comes the Apostle John, this guy we've never met before, who lived in this completely different era and culture than ours, and he wants us to know. No, he, he wants us to really know, to really be confident beyond the shadow of a doubt, to be absolutely sure that this precious, soul-satisfying gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ can truly be ours forever. Sounds great, doesn't it? But why should we even trust John in the first place? So let's take a moment and talk about this John who wrote the letter called 1 John, a letter that has been carefully preserved and passed down to us through the centuries. So for starters, you can take your journal if you have it, turn to the front, and let's see what it has to say to us about John. What do we know about John? Well, John grew up on the Sea of Galilee, the son of a commercial fisherman named Zebedee. He and his brother James left the family business to follow Jesus. Not sure what their dad thought about that one, right? They were two of the 12 disciples. Then, um, go ahead, his mom Salome also is a believer. And she wanted great things for her sons in Jesus' kingdom. And there's a great story about that later on in the Gospels. But more importantly, though, Jesus changed John's life. And he lived the rest of his life inviting others to know and follow his Savior. That's a brief flyover of John's life. And as you can see, John had a lot in common with Jesus. They lived, at the, they lived at the same time in history. They both grew up in the same geographical region, just miles from each other. They both spoke the same language. They both were raised with the same religious background of Judaism. And they both followed in their father's footsteps when it came to learning a trade. Jesus was a carpenter. John became a fisherman. And so even if we stopped right there, John already has a huge leg up on us when it comes to having an affinity with Jesus and teaching us a thing or two about him. But that's just the start. Because the scriptures and history tell us that John shared much more with Jesus than just some similarities. See, they shared a life. A life. John, as a young adult, spent three very intense years being mentored by Jesus as one of his 12 disciples. 
Not only that, but John, along with his brother James and their friend Peter, were part of Jesus' inner circle of three. And they shared some incredibly personal times with him. So John did this. He, as one of the disciples, witnessed the numerous miracles that Jesus performed, like stilling the storm, being in the boat when Jesus took absolute chaos and turned it into total calm on the Sea of Galilee, the sea that John was raised on by his father. Or the feeding of the 5,000, taking five loaves and two fish and Jesus doing the miraculous. Healing 10 lepers, casting out demons, raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. John was there for all of it. Not only that, but as part of the inner circle, John was with Jesus and along just with Peter and John, or James, at the Mount of Transfiguration, this incredible story went out of nowhere. Jesus radiates this brilliant glory before their eyes. Moses and Elijah, these heroes of Judaism, show out of nowhere. And God's voice from heaven above speaks words of affirmation upon Jesus. And as we see with Peter's words in the story, we, we, John and Peter and James go, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. I can't believe we were witnesses to this. John was also one of the three disciples that Jesus brought with him to the Garden of Gethsemane to help him prayer where he was agonizing with the cross right before him. Even beyond that, John was the disciple who sat closest to Jesus at the Last Supper in the upper room. John was the only one of the 12 disciples who was present at the crucifixion. And we're told of this tender moment when he was there where Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, is still alive, looks at John right in the eye, and he says, take care of my mother, Mary. It's this incredibly personal and heartwarming and heartbreaking moment all at once. But three days later, John was one of the first disciples at the empty tomb following the resurrection. And afterwards, John, along with the others, interacted with Jesus on numerous occasions during those 40 days after the resurrection, including this very powerful encounter that they have with Jesus on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee following a fishing excursion with James and Peter. My point is this, is that when John tells us about Jesus, it's not passing along some secondhand information he picked up on the streets. Nor is he giving us academic research of a historian who lived centuries after Jesus. No, John, he's a firsthand eyewitness. He's a faithful follower, and he's a best friend with Jesus. They were best friends. They laughed together, they cried together, they ate together, they played together, they prayed together. John was a contemporary. He was there. He got to witness Jesus' incredible three years of ministry, of teaching, of performing healing miracles. But John, he also saw the crucified and resurrected Jesus as well. Right? These acts of sacrificial love and miraculous victory that Jesus proved who he said he was, that he was and still is the Son of God, and that he is more than capable of providing the eternal life he came to bring to all who believe. John was there. 
and John experience. And so this eternal life that John wants us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, it burns deep within him. Unless we think it's something he came up with on his own, it wasn't his. This wasn't something original to John. No, John is simply passing on and talking about what Jesus taught on numerous occasions. And so John, later on, he records some of these occasions in the biography of Jesus that we know as the Gospel of John. That it was Jesus, not John, who taught and, and, and preached about this whole idea of eternal life. So statements from Jesus like this one. In John 5, 24, very truly I tell you, Jesus said, whoever hears my word and what believes, believes in him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. One chapter later, John chapter 6, on another occasion, Jesus talks about this again. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He's speaking of himself, Jesus is. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And then the passage I shared during the Christmas services that also talk about eternal life. John 17, verse 3. Now this is eternal life. What is it? That they know you, the one only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God, believing in Jesus, this is where the gift of eternal life comes from, right? The eternal Son of God, sent by the Father, believing in him so that we could be forgiven by and reconciled with the one who created us. That is the source of eternal life, and Jesus made it possible for us to know and experience that. So how can we be so confident, and why should we trust what John tells us? Well, the answer is simple. John was there with Jesus. And everything he wants to pass along to us about eternal life isn't just something he personally observed. No, it's something he powerfully experienced. This eternal life changed John forever. And he wants as many people as possible, including us, to experience that exact same certainty. That is John's heart for us. This is why he wrote this letter called 1 John. And it's also why, going back then to 1 John, right at the beginning, he starts his letter with these words, verse 1. John says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, a term he uses to talk about Jesus. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, there's so much going on in this opening verse. It's hard to know where to begin. But actually, we'll just start with the words that I've highlighted here. And if you've got a journal, maybe you can go ahead and underline these or highlight or circle these as well. Heard, seen, looked at, touched. See, this is John's way of telling us that not only was he there and encountered Jesus with his senses, But also this, that Jesus was a real guy, a human being in physical form, just like you and me. We heard him speak, John says. We saw him with our eyes. We actually touched him with our own hands. 
And if you've got any familiarity with the Bible, maybe it rang true like me, I couldn't help but think of that incredible encounter that he records in the 20th chapter of his gospel. That when Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, because beforehand, Thomas told the rest of the disciples that he wouldn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless he could see him with his own eyes and touch him with his own hands. But when he does, he makes this marvelous proclamation. So he looks at Jesus and says, my Lord and my God touched him with our hands. So Jesus, who is the word of life, Jesus, who is the giver of all eternal life to those who believe, he was a real human being. He's an actual historical figure. He's not a myth. He's not a fairy tale. John didn't make him up. No, heard, seen, looked at, touched at different times, in many places, on numerous occasions, both before and after the resurrection. This is who Jesus was and is. But not only that, John wants us to make sure that we understand that Jesus is not just a mere human being. No, Jesus' existence goes all the way back to the beginning. The beginning. And it is no coincidence that John uses that exact same expression that we see in the very opening scene of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. These words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, see this Jesus that John wants us to know was not just fully human, You know, he was hearable, he was seeable, he was touchable. But he was also fully divine, 100% man, 100% God. And that with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, spoke creation into existence as the word of life. That's what John's saying here. He spoke creation into existence as the word of life in the beginning of time. And so straight out of the blocks, John wants us to see Jesus the way he saw Jesus over those three incredible years that they shared together. Both Jesus of Nazareth, the real guy who lived in that town just up the road, but then also Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the miracle worker, Jesus the one who taught with incredible authority, Jesus the eternal Son of God and the Savior of all mankind. And so at the end of verse 1, John says, this is what we proclaim concerning Jesus, who's the word of life. And what exactly is that proclamation? Let's go on, verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, like you would in court, right? Swear to God, this actually happened. We testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. There it is again. See it right there, eternal life? The theme of 1 John. But here John uses it not just to talk about something that Jesus gives, but he also uses it to say, no, this is something that Jesus is. That Jesus himself is eternal life. See, he's existed from the beginning before the start of time as the Son of God. The Son, the eternal Son, was with the Father in all eternity past. Now, this is a concept so huge, so profound, so mind-blowing that we can't even begin to wrap our puny brains around it, right? Jesus, the eternal Son of God. But then at this special time in history, 
2,000 years ago, halfway around the world, beginning with his birth in a Bethlehem stable that we just celebrated a few weeks ago at Christmas. Jesus stepped out of eternity and stepped into the confines of time, space, humanity. Jesus became one of us. That into this world of death and darkness, the life appeared. The life appeared and everything changed. See, this is what John had seen firsthand. It's what he testified as true and real. And he staked his life upon it. And this eternal life that appeared, it's something he personally experienced. No, it's someone that he personally experienced. Verse 3, verse 4, John goes on in his introduction. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we, right, we, the apostles, the original followers of Jesus, spreading the message, we write this to make our joy complete. Now, right here, John introduces us to another key word that we see a bit in the book of 1 John, and that is the word fellowship. Fellowship, another one you can underline, circle, highlight in your journal. Now, if you've been around church for a while, it's a word that rings true. But if you didn't grow up in the church, then maybe you're not familiar with it, right? Unless you're some kind of Lord of the Rings fanatic, right? The whole Fellowship of the Rings thing, right? Maybe that's your deal. I don't know. But what does this word fellowship actually mean? Well, the word fellowship, or the Greek New Testament word koinonia, is this incredibly personal and intimate relational word that speaks to the quality of a relationship rather than the reality of a relationship. How good a relationship is compared to whether or not a relationship exists. This intimate relational word that speaks to the quality of a relationship, it's closeness rather than the reality of a relationship. So for instance, being best friends is one, or being friends is one thing, but being best friends is another. Being married is one thing. Being happily married is another. So then being a Christian is one thing. But being a vibrant Christian who shares incredible closeness with Jesus, well, that's far better. It's far better. And that fellowship, that kind of close relationship with Jesus is what John wants for all of us to experience. That's where life is found. So back to verse 3, verse 4, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. See, John is writing these words. He's getting towards the end of his life. He's passing the torch to everyone who comes after him. And so he says, you know, I've had the privilege. I've had the joy of sharing fellowship, relational closeness and intimacy with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ, for so many years. And I'm here to tell you this, right here in this relationship with God, in this relationship with Jesus, this is where life, this is where eternal life is found. Then there would be no greater joy for me than if I knew that you shared that same kind of fellowship with Jesus, with me, with all the other brothers and sisters in the church who also know this kind of closeness with Jesus. 
I got to tell you, I'm not a very emotional person, but I am incredibly drawn to John's heart and his passion here. You know why? Because he is not content with us just squeaking by in life. Squeaking by, getting by in faith. You know, skating with the bare minimum. No, he wants us to experience the absolute maximum. The absolute maximum that can be ours when we have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the invitation. This is John's heart for us, and it's my prayer for you as well. And so as we kick off this series and as I wind down this message, as we think about John writing to us, I want to leave you with this final thought. Here it is. That John's message of eternal life in Jesus Christ to all who believe is both trustworthy and transformational. John's message of eternal life in Jesus Christ to all who believe is both trustworthy and transformational. Listen, in one way or another, at one time or another, we all have to work through the barriers that stand in the way between us and our experience of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Barriers of all shapes and sizes. So maybe your barrier is an intellectual one. That you've always thought of religion as something for the gullible and the weak-minded. That's you. I would challenge you, right? I would challenge you to push past all the scholarly misinformation out there and find out for yourself. Dig into the historical, the archaeological support for the claims of the Bible. Because it's out there. You need to understand that the heart of Christianity is rooted in history. It's rooted in reality, not fantasy. And yes, part of that reality is the supernatural, it is the miraculous, but it makes it no less true or real. John's testimony of what he saw and heard and experienced, along with the testimony of others who lived in Jesus' era, can be trusted. It can. And so as we go through this series, some of us need to open our minds to get past these kind of hurdles. But others of us, we need to open our hearts. That our barrier isn't an intellectual one, but rather it is an emotional one or a spiritual one. That we are either too afraid to trust or we're too proud to trust. And that our fear and our pride can get in the way of experiencing all that Jesus has for us. Listen, this eternal life that Jesus came to bring, this eternal life that John wants us to know and possess beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is what your soul is craving. This is what you are chasing after in life, even if you don't know what to call it or not, right? It's that hole in the soul that can only be filled by Jesus. Because the restlessness you feel, the change that you're after, this kind of transformation can only happen through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. And then for the rest of us, we may know Christ as our Savior, but we still need to be aware of circumstantial and situational barriers that can distract us, that can discourage us in our journey in this life. That even for the best Christians out there, there are always going to be trials and temptations this side of heaven that are going to try to undermine our confidence. 
You know, as a pastor, I get a front row seat to hearing what you as a congregation go through. Personal loss, painful suffering, prejudicial injustice, unexpected tragedy, unanswered prayer. These things are part of life. And the chaos of life just deals us these unfair blows. It rattles us. It leaves us to wonder. Can Jesus be trusted? And is this whole following Jesus thing even worth it, right? Barriers that want us to drift away from the eternal life that Jesus promises. And so just when we feel like we can't go on, John steps in and says, you know, everything you know about Jesus is trustworthy, up here and in here. Not only that, it is also transformational. Eternal life in Jesus Christ is transformational. That's why, what's the punchline? What's the purpose? John reminds us, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so today, this week, and all throughout this series, may God grow our hearts so that we can trust him more, so that our experience of eternal life in this life will be full and complete and confident in the midst of the chaos. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for words that are still so fresh coming out of the Christmas season. When we think about Jesus, the eternal Son of God, entering our world. And John's words give us a glimpse of why it happened, of why he came. Not only so that we could experience eternal life, but that we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this eternal life in Jesus for all who believe is ours forever. Regardless of the chaos, the outer circumstances, the inner turmoil, that we can be rooted in the power and the love and the victory of our crucified and resurrected Lord. God, I realize that every person here, we, we come from different places, we've gone through different experiences, but thank you that this gift, this experience, this power called eternal life in Jesus is for everyone. And that it, you don't come for us to meet you, but you meet us where you're at. And so even now, speak to hearts, to anxious hearts, to worried hearts, to insecure hearts, and to hard hearts that need to be softened. The power and the love and the life that is found in Jesus so that we may know, so that we may be confident beyond the shadow of a doubt that this eternal life is ours now and forever. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we give you our worship and pray all this in your name. Amen. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says to his disciples, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up in the last day. What I love about Jesus' words is that it reminds me that my salvation is not so much relying on my grip on him, but on his grip on me. It reminds me that even when I go through hard times, when I do or say things I shouldn't, or even when I feel like Thomas and I'm like, yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus' grip on me never loosens. He's got me. He's got you. Would you please stand and sing in response to this morning?
to give me mine. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And it should continue to astound us. That's why I love a song that says, how can it be? Because, boy, constantly we need to be reminded, boy, this is too good to be true. And yet it is true. And it's ours all because of Jesus. So be encouraged by that. Hey, if you have not picked up a journal, would love for you to grab one on the way out. And as you go from here, may you go rooted in the confidence of eternal life in Jesus Christ. God bless you.